Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show today, we're going to be talking about a little bit of everything. I'm joined by a guy named Evan from Michigan. He he loves to hunt. I mean, this is an outdoorsman through and through, whether it is shooting shooting goldfish with his bow fishing setup or chasing after ducks, whitetail in multiple states. He just loves to be outdoors. And so I'm really excited to chat with Evan about all of his outdoor hobbies, adventures, and it's going to be amazing. There are things out there in this country, and I'm discovering them more and more as I have conversations with people from different places. There are opportunities that I would have never guessed, like shooting five-pound goldfish out of Lake Michigan. Who who would have guessed that? Who would have Who would have thought that that was a real thing? I definitely would not have, but we're going to dive into all of that right now. I hope you enjoy. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, so I am constantly getting asked about the gear that I'm using, and the great news is that I've got it all listed out on Go Wild. Now, if you listen carefully, I'm going to tell you how you can get a $10 gift card to use toward picking up some new gear. Go Wild is a free social community where your photos aren't censored. They're actually encouraged. So much so that Go Wild will give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. Now, as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards and free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Also, check this out. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a guy named Evan. He's from Michigan. Now, normally I would hold that against people, but this guy is a stone-cold waterfowl killer um, based on his social media page. Um, I, I always have to joke with anybody who lives close to Wisconsin but isn't in Wisconsin. Um, but in all reality, man, thank you for hopping on the show with me. Um, how's it going? Good. How are you, man? Pretty good. Uh, I wish it was waterfowl season right now. I wish more things were open right now. This is kind of like that lull in the year when... I'm kind of excited about turkey hunting, but really all the seasons I truly care about have just ended. I I can feel your pain there. I got duck depression really bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, the nice thing is where, where you're at in the country, you guys, I mean, the, the upper Great Lakes area is just, it's an outdoorsman's paradise. It really is. And un, until people have been there, they don't fully understand it. No, it, Michigan is so diverse and what it has to offer for us. It is insane. You know, you can go out and lay out, hunt the Great Lakes for Old Squaw and Cans, Redheads over by Lake St. Clair to Lake Erie. 
and you, then you can hop in to like where I'm from, Southern Michigan, Southeast Michigan, and you can hop in a cornfield and shoot dry field mallards. I mean, all day long with geese. And it's just, it's so diverse. You can't, not a lot of states offer what Michigan has to offer. And a lot of people look past it and it's, it's becoming like a lot of states in the outfitter business kind of, because people are finally realizing what we have to offer. Yeah. So it's, it's good and bad, but for people who grew up in Michigan and have lived here their whole life, like me, you know, it's, you get to opportunities are endless. You know, you can go up North four hours. And like I said, you can go lay out hunt Lake Superior and you never know, you know, old squads, as far as you can see rafts of them and redheads. And it's just, it's just endless opportunities. It's insane. That's so sweet. I, I definitely envy people who live in spots like that where they get a bunch of diversity, especially in the waterfowl world, because I would give anything for just one type of waterfowl here that was like good and lights out. I mean, I could travel a couple hours in, in different directions and probably get on it, but yeah, once you get into the, those Northern States, like you guys are some of the first people in the U S to be able to shoot at these birds every year. And so you get them before the call, they, they get call shy or decoy shy. Um, and then obviously you've got some of the prime like summer habitat for them where they probably just stay there all year long. Yeah. We, when they migrate, when we get our malts in September, we're, you know, the UP has their season is same as ours and they get the first crack at them. But yeah, once they get down in the lower peninsula, it's basically just us who they've seen. You know, they're not seeing hundreds of decoy spreads. They're not seeing hundreds of different goose spreads and, you know, I mean, everything. You know, it's just, it's very low pressure at that point. But with the amount of birds, it's really nothing crazy to not have a feed of 800 in September. And like and like I was telling you, it's the amount of bands that come from Canada in that time that migrate down is insane. And that's when we get our big push is mid-September to late September. And, you know, it's it's not uncommon to have say, I don't know, in September, five, six hundred mallards mixed in with the geese migrating they're all brown no colors from them but you know it's still they're mixed in with the canadas and it's just you can't find it anywhere else i mean it not having the first crack at the birds coming from their nesting habitat yeah and we do we do offer a lot of diverse habitat for them you know a lot of swamp areas big water nesting areas staging areas all of it, you know, we have enough food here, water, no problem. And that's why we hold a lot of local geese all year round. Yeah. You know, we have a, water's open and it's just makes a perfect combination to have great hunts and a great waterfowl season. It's just can't get it anywhere else. Have you noticed in the past couple of years and uh, the only reason I bring this up is because I, I go up to Wisconsin in the winter and I've noticed so many birds still hanging out in Wisconsin 
in the dead of winter. And I'm like, man, I wonder if it's like that all across the north because that might be a big reason why the the numbers are so low here over the past couple of years. We do because uh, we have a light goose season in February. And if there's water open, there's a pile of geese on it. I mean, it right, you know, after goose season ends, a lot migrate back, but you go down south, but you know, not a lot leave. No, as yeah. a, it's nothing like, you know, say you're down in Oklahoma or, you know, those Midwest states that are a lot warmer who don't see weather like us. Yeah, sure. They migrate out because they need to. Yeah. But for us, I don't know. It, I don't know. It's just, the, like I said, the habitat we offer and, you know, having a lot of rivers open, a lot of food still, a lot of ag fields. They have no reason to leave. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it, and it makes sense if they've got food, if they've got water, there, why, why burn the energy to fly a couple thousand miles farther south? You know, it just doesn't right. make sense for them. Um, and you mentioned you've got a ton of different water that you can hunt: big water, um, marshland, probably rivers, lakes, and then you're hunting dry fields. Are is there any? Is there any species that you don't get there that you're just like, man, I want to go hunt this so bad? Uh, yeah, the, uh, so we get a good amount of pintails, widgeon, but they're not, they're brown. They okay. have no, you know, we, you can shoot a couple nice pintails with some big sprigs, but it's not very common. You know, it's in the widgeon, same thing. They're just brown, you know, no good color on them. Um, we do get a lot of cans but not where I live in Michigan. You know, you got to go towards the can- the Canadian border, yep. like Lake St. Clair. And, you know, that's the Canadian side. So I really don't get to hunt cans like that. So it's kind of my bucket list bird. But, you know, I'd say we do shoot a lot of teal. You know, I've been chasing the cinnamon teal for the last couple of years out of state. So that'd be another bucket list bird. But other than that, yeah, it's like I said, we have unreal diversity of ducks that come through Michigan with old squaw, all the divers we have, you know, puddle ducks. We shoot a lot of black ducks, which a lot of people don't think Michigan holds a lot of black ducks, but we kill a lot of black ducks, dry field. And Dang. it's more of an East coast thing, but we have a couple spots here that we have that just load. And it's something, it's something to see, you know, you shooting stud black ducks that you only see on the East coast. So yeah, yeah, that's, I've seen a couple of those killed. I've never killed one myself. Um, but man, I, I think, I think most of the country would be right there with you with uh pintail. Like they're just a clean, they're just such a clean looking bird. Like the lines on them, everything is so sharp and crisp. And, um, I've only, I think I've only killed one, one Drake pintail. Funny enough, my first ever duck in Missouri was a Drake canvas back. And everybody was like, dude, we've never even seen one of those get killed here. And yeah, it just happened to, it came in, landed on the spread on the river right in front of me. 
they call it a lake. A lot of lakes around here are actually rivers, but for some reason they just think you put a dam on both ends of a river that's 30 miles long, they can call it a lake. Um, so anyways, we're on this river, and it lands in the decoys two minutes before shooting light, and so we just waited, and I couldn't quite tell what it was. And then I'm like, dude, it's still sitting out there. And so as soon as shooting light came, I stood up, it popped up, I shot it and went out and got it. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. A freaking canvas back. I'd never killed one in my life. And yeah, first bird in Missouri. Haven't seen one since. <laughs> that is that is a rare bird for down in Missouri. That oh, is, yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. What? Um, so, I mean, back to like the sportsman's paradise that the North – is like anywhere around the Great Lakes, really. Like Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, even like parts of Illinois. Like there's just so many cool opportunities. And you're kind of uh, an all-around outdoorsman. I mean, you've got the guiding company and, and you put a huge emphasis on waterfowl. What other outdoor activities do you find yourself doing throughout the year? So my biggest next to waterfowl is obviously deer hunting chasing giant whitetails um i lease pretty good chunk of property in michigan to deer hunt on also as in indiana we uh lease property to deer hunt on um and it's hard to flip between waterfowl and deer season because they run in between two seasons you know hand in hand and you got to make time for it and that's my other main passion um there's just nothing like chasing a giant white tail in rut and it's it's close to waterfowl but it can't top it it's yeah you know, waterfowl lobby's number one but uh other than that you know it's ice fishing in the winter time for giant walleye um and then summertime is uh i actually do a lot of bow fishing nice. um i uh go to kentucky every year go down to lake barkley to shoot uh Asian carp, um, big heads, um, you name it, you know, we make a trip down there every year. This year I'm going to Maryland to shoot stingrays, uh, snakeheads, um, uh, giant blue cats. I mean, it's, you know, and in Michigan, bow fishing is, like I said, that's another, you know, a lot of people frown on bow fishing and what we do but it's in the long run, it's helping the ecosystem, you know, it's helping all the fishermen, bass fishermen, walleye fishermen, perch fishermen. It's keeping all those carp off their beds from blowing all their eggs all over the place, killing all of it, destroying all the spawning habitat for all those game fish. Um, And everybody who knows and is bow fish, you will know what I'm saying is Saginaw Bay in Michigan is known around the world for the top destination for bow fishing. And it's an hour and a half from my back door. I mean, you can't, you cannot dream up a better state to do what I do on a daily basis, you know, season to season, you know, I mean, Saginaw Bay is the one of the, is the best fishery in my, in my book in Michigan, you know, offers giant walleye, giant perch, um, you know, white fish, it's just, and then you add the carp in there. You sh- we shoot giant goldfish on a Saginaw Bay. Giant. I mean, five pounders plus. Jeez. From, from people flushing them down the toilets 
because they're sick of having them as pets. They flush them out of the toilets down into the Saginaw Bay and they make their way down into there. And you turn the boat on at night, the lights, all you see is glow, glow orange dots all in the water. And you're chasing around these little orange balls on the water and they just it's just insane you know, so these are legitimately like genetically goldfish that are yep. out there yep <laughs> and i have pictures you know i have pictures on my social media you see i'm holding the, i think it's a five five point three pound goldfish it's insane you know when uh we get we get hybrid ones we get all white ones we get you know straight black ones and it's all from people throwing them off their dock or their break wall, flushing them down the toilet. And it is just exploded in the Saginaw Bay with millions upon millions of goldfish. I don't know why I can't help but think of like a kid who let his goldfish go and then he stumbles across your Instagram page. <laughs> and here it is. Obviously, it's a lot bigger than when he let it go. But, um, man, shooting goldfish with a bow, man. That that's something it's, I would have never thought about. It's it's unreal. People look at me so funny when I say, "Yeah, oh yeah, we shot twenty five goldfish last night," and they're <laughs> like, "What? Are you serious?" And I go, "Yeah, you know, it's not you know, it's not uncommon at all. You know, I think I had one night where I shot over fifty goldfish. It's just, oh my it's gosh. stupid. So yeah. then, I mean, they're obviously like reproducing out there, right? Insane, insane. Yeah, just like going nuts, and they. I, I would assume when they get that big, they almost look like just a big gold carp. Yes. Yes, they do. Yep. Jeez, man. That is so, so wild. I need to come bow fishing for goldfish. That sounds, it's, that sounds like a good time, man. And it's it would a damn be good so time. weird. Like I, it's like Texas. I keep, I've, I've been down to Texas a couple times. It feels like I keep getting people from Texas on. And you think about going and hunting there and seeing species that just shouldn't be there. And it would probably mm -hmm. be the same thing, being out bow fishing for carp. And all of a sudden there's, you know, 50 opportunities for a goldfish. It would just seem very out of place, but I'm sure you're probably used to it by now. I'm used to it, but every time I see one, I still laugh, and it's like this is just <laughs> ridiculous that this is even in this ecosystem with these fish. You know, it's it's it doesn't make any sense, but you know, it's it is what it is, and it's obviously they're a giant invasive, and they're just destroying the you know the water. You know, and like I said, people put a bad name on it, but they don't know what we do. They think we're just out there shooting fish just to kill stuff. No. Yeah. You know, we're cleaning up the waters, you know, all our fish that we shoot in my boat go to farmers that I know for fertilizer. So yeah. they all get put, you know, we're not just dumping them in ditches. We're not throwing them in by the boat dock, making giant piles, you know, it's all going to fertilizer for farmers. So, you know, nice. It's, it's just, it has a bad rap because people do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense in like, even with certain species, Obviously, people frown upon you leaving anything to rot or to waste. But there's certain species where it's just kind of like these are invasive. They're destroying habitat. Even if nobody eats them or uses them for anything productive, we're still doing a service to all of the other animals out here by getting rid of them. Like hogs, that's one of them. Sure, people can eat them. But if you're if you're a hog hunting company and you go out and you shoot 200 pigs in one day or in, in this course of a week, like you can't consume that much meat. 
and no matter what, even if it goes to waste, like you're benefiting every other animal. I wa- I saw a video the other day of a of a hog carrying off a fawn, and I'm like, dude, that's just crazy to think about. I would have never guessed like pigs eat deer, but yeah, carrying off a fawn, they eat literally anything they can get, they can get um, close to. But uh, yeah, carp, dude, there's carp everywhere now. I I remember growing up and I had heard about them, but we didn't really encounter a whole lot of them. Um, I had gone to Lake Michigan and fished off the pier one time. Me and my cousin, we just brought his his bow fishing deal out, and we were shooting them in the middle of the day. Like, you could see them swimming around. And I was like, dude, what are those? They're giant. I had never seen a fish that size or, like, that shape and with that much girth on it. And he told me about it, and now it just seems like they are everywhere, and people just can't keep the population down anymore. No, no, they cannot. And we're thankful, thankful we're just common carp, you know, and gar and goldfish and uh, call them dogfish, bowfin. It's all different, but they're, are, that's the main invasives we shoot in Michigan. Um, but when I go down to Kentucky every year, the Asian carp, they, is it, it's out of control. And we're thankful that hasn't reached Michigan yet came up to the Great Lakes because that would destroy the Great Lakes fishery all day oh, long. Yeah. And, you know, I went down there last year and shot 5,000 pounds of Asian carp in three days. I mean... Holy cow. Yeah. And my boat was full and you... It was with two guys. It was me and my other buddy. And, I mean, you could... It wasn't uncommon to shoot. I mean, you could have shot thousands of thousands of pounds every single day for two weeks straight is when they were spawning down there by and uh, we go in to lake barkley down in uh, grand rivers kentucky and that's the big attraction down there and um there's actually a place down there that buys uh all the carp species that you shoot for three cents a pound and Dang. they grind it up they grind it up for uh uh crab traps and uh cat food so you can go down there and shoot, you know, like I said, we, I think we shot, you know, it's like 5,100 pounds in three days. We made like 400 bucks that paid in our gas and, you know, hotel and, you know, all that stuff. So, I mean, that's cool. You know, it's going to a good use. Yeah. It's just not getting thrown in the ditches and on the boat docks and stuff, but you know, they want us to go down there and kill them because they're killing bass fishermen because the Cumberland river and the Tennessee river run hand hand right there. And all the bass tournaments that run right there, those guys are flying down the river and those Asian carp are flying up and hitting them in the chest, in the neck, you know, knocking them out and it, you know, driving their boat off into the rocks. You know, they're dangerous. They're, it's not a good situation down there for that aspect, but that's why, you know, there's a lot of people who do it, you yeah. know, bow fishing down there. So it's helping, but it's not, they're never going to catch up to that ever. Dude, I can't imagine. I mean, like I, I never even thought about the fact that they're hitting boaters flying across the across the water like that adds a whole nother aspect to like the reason to get rid of them but i i have seen the the ones that jump up are they are the asian carp the ones that jump out of the water yep, okay. those, yep. 
Yeah, I've I've watched the videos of the rednecks in the back of like a John boat, and they're driving around with the shotgun, and they're just like <laughs> shooting them as they fly up. I could one hundred percent get behind that. That seems like a perfect. I mean, that's just perfect practice for dove hunting or duck hunting or jump shooting birds off of ponds. Um, yeah, I could get behind that sport. Yeah, it is definitely wild when you uh, so they jump like that because they feel vibration in the water from like a boat motor, trolling motor, or you can even flash your lights at them that you have on your boat and they'll shoot up hundreds at a time. And, uh, no, you can stand on the front of your boat with a baseball bat and just start swinging. And just, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know how many times I, I've been hit in the head, you know, knocking sunglasses off my hat, knocking my bow out of my hand, just from them, you know, it being the middle of the day, one in the afternoon, dead calm out all of a sudden one just comes out from behind you and knocks you in the back of the head dude what it's, the heck <laughs> it's, it's i mean it's their way of getting back at us i feel like yeah and those things stink they stink and they're slimy my boat still smells like kentucky from last year and it, 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 it you just can't get rid of that smell it's it's nasty no thanks <laughs> man we had no. uh we had a guy whose whose property we would bow fish, and I ne- I've never had my own like setup, but he mm-hmm. had a couple on a John boat. They had built a platform, put lights around it, and it, it was just this tiny little series of like three ponds on his property. But there was a drainage, or uh, basically this creek. They've got them running all over Colorado, but I mean it's like ten feet wide, and uh, it fed into his ponds. Well, because of that, the carp would get in through these drainage or through these culverts and stuff. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, he might have one or two carp in here. They were everywhere. And I'm not a great bow fisherman by any means, but I took my brother in law out there. He had never done it either. We killed like 17 in one night. And I'm like, this is absolutely nuts that there are this many that are literally coming through just a normal culvert underneath the road into his property and there's that many fish out there and as as much as we would try we still couldn't clean them out of those small ponds yeah it's it's insane when they're there they're there and they're not going anywhere they reproduce it's it's insane what they can do damage on and how fast they can reproduce and like i said it's just it destroys a lot of lakes big water too for you know the sport fish, you know, yeah. bass, walleye, perch, anything. Anything that's a game fish, they'll destroy. And people don't get that. People just think we're out there shooting stuff to shoot stuff. No, and they, so. they seem like such resilient animals. They don't have to have clean, cold water. I mean, they can. it seems like carp can survive in just about any water. As long as they can keep their face in it. I mean, you could probably throw one in a toilet and it would survive for months. Yeah, that is very true. You could throw that, you know, you could throw it in the Detroit River in Michigan and that thing would survive no problem. Yeah, it might even grow bigger. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Grow, grow some legs or water. something. Uh, yeah, yeah. You might see it walking up on the boardwalk. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that, yeah, that's crazy. That's one thing that I definitely want to get more into. I, I always say that. I feel like there's, I feel like when God created all of these animals and knew when they'd be breeding and knew when the times to chase after them were, he kind of left out a certain chunk of the year just so that men would stay married. 
because if I was if it was just like never ending season, I feel like our wives or our significant others would become very unhappy with us. And so, yeah, summer summer kind of turns into that time for me where we do a lot of stuff. We go camping as a family. We go floating. I don't do a lot of like solitary outdoor activities during that time. I'll still go out. I'll check tram trail cameras and plant food plots and stuff like that. But um, it's not like when deer season is here or waterfowl where I'm gone all the time chasing after them. Right, right. And that's that's kind of how I am. You know, you know, I'm bow fishing a lot in the summertime. Um, but October, you know, September, fall time, that's when I'm a dead man walking during hunting season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, working a you know, full-time job and then, you know, on top of weekends and you know a day off here a day off there to go guide and it's definitely uh it's hard on your significant other and you know gotta give them credit to deal with us during those hunting seasons no oh yeah i was i was talking to a guy from texas actually a couple of them recently who are guides and we were talking about how like waterfowl hunting when you go out and guide for waterfowl hunting are you bringing a gun and shooting as well no, oh, I do not. Okay, you're not. I was going to say, nope. I know that there are, there's a lot of guides that do that for waterfowl. And I always thought like that was kind of the exception where when you're, when you go out and guide somebody for elk or deer, like down in Texas, um, or even say you're in Michigan and you're in someone pays you to guide them for a whitetail hunt, you're putting them in a stand sometimes by themselves with a bow or a gun and you're kind of letting them be. Waterfowl, I feel like, is that exception where you are there. I mean, you're in the thick of it with them. But it is interesting. I don't know. I haven't talked to a ton of people who don't who don't also bring a gun and shoot. So, you know, me and my buddy, you know, I got to get a lot, lot of credit to my buddy who owns a company with me and uh, the guys I run with. Um, you know, it's not all me. You know, it's, you know they do more than their fair share of work. And, uh, you know, we always, our motto is if somebody's paying us to hunt, we're not going to take away the birds they can shoot at. You know, we're here for their experience. I'm not going to mow down two or three geese when they have it lined up perfectly in front of them. Yes. Why, why do that? They're paying to hunt with me. It's their opportunity. It's their hunt. It's their memory. Have them shoot. I don't care if they miss. Yeah, it's not about that. It's not about shooting a limit every time we go out. If they if we shoot five geese, you know, I'm aiming to shoot a limit and have a pile of geese or ducks or whatever we're hunting. But you know, I want them to shoot their gun as much as possible. I'm not taking away that opportunity for them, and neither are my guys that I run with. They all get it. But if we have a burner, you know, giant feed, you bet your ass I'm shooting. Yeah. But you know, it's you know, if we're running one or two clients and we have a giant feed, you know. I'm shooting, but you know, if we're, you know, just a, you know, a decent feed with, you know, four or five clients, you know, that's all theirs. So, you know, it's their opportunity. They paid me. It's, it's just, I don't, I've, you know, like I said, I've traveled around the country and I hear the same thing from the guys I respect in the waterfowl community. And they said, it's what you got to base your company off of like the, the morals and, you know, all that stuff is, you're not, say you go to Oklahoma for a lesser shoot and there's a guide 
and four other clients and there's only a two pack coming in. Would you want that guy shooting at that bird or would you want to shoot that bird? Oh yeah. yeah. I'm paying to hunt. I'm shooting at that goose. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, and, and that's, that's how I think of it. And that's how we think of it, you know? So that's my thoughts on that. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes good. I, I think, I think, uh, I've seen a lot of people that probably do it also for the, the pile pick, you know, like, it, you know, you have, you have two people guiding or even just one person guiding. That's in some States, five extra birds that you can get. And, uh, obviously like the, the guide and the experience and the amount of times that, uh, a waterfowl guide has shot, he's probably going to be a little more accurate. So that does mean in the long run, you may have more birds, but less of them that the clients actually got to shoot. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like everything's become about getting a bigger picture or a picture of a bigger pile of birds lately. And sometimes that doesn't mean a better hunt. I, I was talking to my cousin about that same exact thing. Like it's fun when you get these huge groups coming in. But it's also pretty sweet when you have consistent like doubles and triples that come in. I think I would I would rather take a full morning of like twos and threes coming in than one big volley. I I think it like just yeah, the consistency of like every five minutes you're like, oh hey, here come two, here come two, or here comes a single. Um it keeps me keeps me on my toes. Where when a big flock comes in and you don't see much the rest of the day, it's like, oh, well, that was a fun single round of shooting. <laughs> right. No, and that's exactly how we, what we want. We want fives, tens. You know, if we're, we're watching a roost with, say, seven, eight hundred geese, you know, we don't want them to come at once. Yeah, it's cool to see those giant wads of geese. It's yeah. cool, but it's not, like you said, it's one volley if you even get 50 to decoy yeah you know and good luck trying to spin down 150 big canadas good luck <laughs> and uh you know if consistently 5 10 15 it keeps us you know keeps us in sync of what we're doing keeps the clients on their toes keeps us on our toes and it's just more fun it's just it's a it's a better pace you know, we get to, you know, you can sit down for five minutes. You can, you know, you can bullshit with the clients, you know, make them feel like, you know, they mean something to you when we're, you're taking them out, you know, but it's just not rush of one, one giant wad. All right. Shot into a 50, 50 pack. And all right, we're going home. Yeah. You know, killed one, how many have we killed out of that flock, you know, but no, if you space it out five here, eight here, two pack here, single, you know, have one of the clients just, all right, wherever you're, you know, it's your bird. Shoot it. You know, take your three shots at it, whatever it takes you. You know, yeah. that's how I like it. That's how I like my hunt to run. Um, but you know, that's we don't usually don't get a lot of big flocks off the roost. They usually come tens, fifteens, you know, just lines after lines, and it can get chaotic, but hunt's ruined when the whole roost comes up, in my opinion. And the only reason why I think well, the big factor is why those big wads come out of the roost because they're pressured they fly yeah. together and they know okay if we come in a giant wad they can't kill all of us yeah and you know they have more eyes in the sky you know how you know it's just oh yeah the safety birds. in numbers yeah. for sure like they're 
there's a reason, you know, when even with deer hunting, I love watching deer. Don't get me wrong. But would I rather have a buck come in with like 12 does or just the buck? Dude, if it comes in with 12 does, man, that's a lot of eyes, ears, and noses that could pick me off. I'd much rather only have to beat one set of each than than a whole group. And yeah, like you said, I mean, here in Missouri, we see that we see that play out so well. We only shoot small groups of birds. We never. I mean, I say never. I I can count on one hand the amount of times that we had 20 20 or more birds working. It's almost exclusively singles, doubles, a group of 10 coming in is even a rarity. It's like, holy cow, where did that come from? That's amazing. And uh but it's fun, man. It really does. Like the other thing is a single bird will sneak in out of nowhere. 50 birds aren't sneaking anywhere. And so it's like you might be looking around and it's like, dude, nothing's flying. And all of a sudden you hear right in front of you, here comes one cupped in, dropping on the water or in the field. Um I I like that you guys can hunt water and field there too. We don't do a ton of field hunting down here. We really don't. There's so much water everywhere, and there's a lot of beans here. There's not a lot of corn. Uh, I think the majority of my uh, dry field hunting has been in corn up in Wisconsin, Um, but because there's so many beans and other crops, a lot of cattle pasture here, typically we're having to find water if we're going to kill birds. Okay. Yeah, that's completely opposite of what I prefer and what we do in Michigan. I don't touch water. That's me. I, our group, we don't, I sold my duck boat, sold all my water stuff. You know, we have our floaters and stuff, but we don't run giant rigs of those. We're mostly all dry fields. You know, it's, we have, you know, we have our gravel pits, we have our cattle pastures we hunt, but no hunting out of a boat. You know, rarely we put waders on. I think I put waders on twice last year. Dang. And that was just, and that was just for a flooded timber hole for wood ducks. I mean, in it, it, in the middle of a cornfield, you know, I could have could have put an a frame on the edge, but we wanted to hide in the timber, and you know, you know how that goes. And um, but yeah, it's September. We have our good couple shoots over some cattle pastures. Um, but other than that, you know, it's we winter time february comes we have our ice holes we hunt on our gravel pits and our rivers and that's where we you know we use some kayaks or whatever we got to use but yeah it's all all dry fields it's you know corn a lot of corn a lot of beans we do shoot a lot of geese in september out of alfalfa um uh, and uh shoot a lot of them out of sugar beet fields too we have a lot of sugar beets up in michigan and we uh they like to the geese love those in September. Um, but yeah, a lot of, uh, I say the most of what we hunt here in Michigan is definitely corn. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called bull elk beard oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. 
Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. Uh, what what are your decoy spreads looking like? I know, I feel like the farther south you get, the bigger spreads you see. Um, and I, I, I know people up in the Great Lakes area that put out big spreads too. Are you guys typically doing a lot of birds in your spread? So what we do is... Um, a lot of it's matching what the feed looks like, obviously. And, uh, you know, I strictly run dive bomb silhouettes. Um, my trailer is full. Um, it's uh, typically our spread. We're running probably 20 or 30 dozen at a time. Okay. But but we can jump to 60 dozen, 70 dozen if we need to. You know, it depends on, you know, the feed and what we're doing and all that stuff. But um, our goose spread is, yeah, it's pretty good you know 20 to 20 to 25 you know if you want to get crazy with it 30 um but like i said we're pushing normally feed is 500 geese 600 geese you know if we're shooting 100 we only throw 10 dozen out you know small small little spread you know um but yeah and like in for like our field mallards and stuff we don't even we put two spinners out with some silhouettes and it's all you need you know i see people running full body mallards and cornfields and bean fields and, um, you know, silhouette mallards and all this crazy stuff. All those mallards care about is that spinning wing decoying to see if geese, cause you always see geese and ducks mixed matched in together. Yeah. And they're, they're going there anyway. So why run a giant, giant spread for mallards when all you need is a couple spinners and some silhouettes, you know, in a good hide, you know, that's my big thing. I don't care what the decoy spread is. First thing I'm doing is in that field is brushing in the A-frames. We don't run layout blinds very often. It's typically A-frames in the middle, edge hide, whatever, you know, whatever hide is available in that yeah. time. Um, but yeah, layout, uh, layouts are, unless we're hunting like a disc cornfield where we need to dig in a little bit or you know, there's a stump in the middle of the field or a brush pile. And then we'll throw, you know, a little something layout blind together. But a lot of, a lot of, uh, a frames. It's just more comfortable to hunt out of, you know, you line six chairs up, you know, you got more room. You're not laying on your back. It's easier for clients to shoot out of, to see the birds coming in yep. less, less opportunities to flare them. And, you know, I don't know a lot of people don't like a frames because, they think, oh, you can, you can't just throw an A-frame out in the middle of a cornfield where they haven't seen structure before, you know. But if you brush it in right, you can kill a goose in a Walmart parking lot. I, you know, I, I don't. It's, it's all on the hide, you know. Yeah. It's, it's nothing, you know. And people look past that, you know. That's, you know, what. That's my biggest pet peeve is that hide has to be one hundred percent matched or pretty damn close to what we're hunting in and it's it pays off i mean you you know you see you know 
social media and, you know, my hunts and stuff. It's, that's what we, that's what we, you know, strive on is to kill birds, great opportunities at killing birds and making the clients happy. And, you know, just running and the, just the knowledge we all have, you know, up in Michigan and the birds and you just, you know, everything that goes into a waterfall hunt. Yeah. I, I've tossed around the idea. I like to try outside the box techniques for hunting things. And I, I've noticed like city ponds where there's houses right next to the water. There's always birds right there. Or even like if you get out in the country, if there's a house that backs up to water, there's birds really close to the house. And I'm, I'm kind of wanting to almost make a fake house out there with like PV, like just build a PVC frame and put like a gray tarp and white sides on it and just see if the birds will drop in because they feel safe near uh, a home. And then legally I could hunt it because it's technically not an inhabited building. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could probably throw a playhouse out there. <laughs> you could probably shoot them right out of the window. I know. Well, and, I, <laughs> and here in Missouri, I mean, we get, we get, uh, when the rain comes, I mean, it floods the lakes pretty bad. Most of the lakes around here are man-made. Well, you go around and there's just trash sometimes, like blue barrels and boat docks and all kinds of stuff washed up in the woods. Well, you can match as much as you want the surrounding, like on the lake edges here, but I guarantee you go 100 yards in any direction and there is going to be a super bright piece of trash that could easily flare the birds but they still don't care about it. It's like they're used to it. And so I, yeah, I just feel like human presence um, in the wrong setting, obviously it's going to scare them. Like if you're just standing out in the middle of a cornfield, but yeah, there's something about a house, man, it makes them comfortable and I really want to try it. And if I do, I'm going to make a YouTube video and market the crap out of that. Yeah, that would be, uh, I would definitely watch that. That would be uh, something to see because like you said, they don't give a shit what structures on the shore. You know, oh, like yeah. you said, there could be a blue barrel. There could be a construction vest hanging from a branch and they land neck right next to that. Yep. They don't care. Or just you put know, a boat dock out there. Just put a boat right. dock and like a paddle boat and you just sit in the paddle boat with your shotgun. Yeah. Have, yeah, exactly. They don't. <laughs> but when you're hunting them, it's a whole different story. Yep. You know, you know how it is. It's just. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you'll see you'll loads never... of them when you're not hunting them. We, yeah. my wife and I, we've done. Um, this was so crazy, and I, I may have the video on my phone from it. We, we've done camper renovations for a while, and uh, a couple reached out and they're like, "Hey, we have a houseboat. Would you be interested in renovating the houseboat?" And so we're like, "Oh, yeah, you know, we could do that." So we show up, and we only had a couple days to do it, and I was putting like all trim in. I can't remember. We were doing trimming countertops, I think. And so uh, we had like two or three days before we had to leave uh, to go out of state for something. And so we were there working late into the night. Well, right around sunset, I'm I'm out on the front porch of this houseboat and I'm I'm cutting some trim and I hear wings. And I'm like, oh, dude, there's birds. These freaking birds land right on the green turf next to the houseboat on the dock. And then they proceed to hop up onto the picnic table and they slept there all night long. And then they did it again the next night. 
And I'm like, dang, man, this would be so killer. Like you could literally just sit here in your swim trunks and probably kill kill ducks and geese in the fall. Obviously, it's going to be cold at that point, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's always you're doing something when you're not hunting and they just they decoy perfect or, you know, whatever. They (laughs) just land next to you. It doesn't matter. You know, you you can have a goose land at your feet in the Walmart parking lot. And then you like, I never seen this in my, you know, hunting scenario ever. Oh, yeah. You know, you could just be or like, you know, even when you're picking up your spread. Yep. You know, always every single time you have a flock or a single or a two pack land right in the hole i mean 10 yards away and you're standing out there with 80 of your buddies at the truck in the cornfield i mean it's just like why can't you do this but they flare off something stupid or they don't you know they don't work like you are but you're gonna work when we're standing out here in the middle of the spread yep well <laughs> it's we just, it's it's a running joke with us uh anytime we're out hunting like if somebody goes to light a cigarette or you go to take a leak it's like mm-hmm. hey everybody get ready like I'm, I'm getting out of the blind right now, which means there will be birds. As soon as one person isn't ready or doesn't have a gun in hand, is facing the other way, the birds come in, and uh, it's we'll joke about it, and you know, it doesn't always happen, but when it does, it just makes it that much better. A new guy comes out, and you're like, hey, I'm going to take a leak. Make sure you're watching and you're ready. And you turn around, unzip, and you hear three shots go off. It's like, dude, I don't get it. I think they just like to mess with us sometimes. I think so too. I wish I could uh, know what a goose or duck was thinking because it'd be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, so you 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 lease property also. You said in Indiana and in Michigan for whitetail hunting. Um, yep. it, is it the same in Michigan for whitetail? Is it pretty underrated compared to other places? Um. So. Uh, that's a whole can of worms there for Michigan and deer just, hunting. Uh, I, I understand when it comes to whitetail hunting, people stay pretty tight-lipped with it. It's like, uh, I don't want to give away that we have big deer, but um, they're not I mean, small. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, uh, Michigan is a two-buck state. And personally, I hate it because in, in like in Indiana, Indiana is a one-buck state. You have to be picky on what you want to shoot you don't have a second chance you don't have another buck tag you have to you know really think about what you're shooting at and if you are really going to be happy with it but in michigan you know you could shoot a little fork horn and go out the next day and shoot another two and a half year old eight point and that doesn't help our our buck our buck to doe ratio or the growth of our deer yep michigan Yes, we shoot some giant bucks. You know, nothing like Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa. Nothing like like even Wisconsin. I've seen some giant deer killed in Wisconsin. And Michigan, you know, southern Michigan, yes. Like towards the Ohio border, yes. Giant, giant whitetails. But where I'm at, you know, southeast Michigan, southern, you know, that area, you know, you shoot my, you know, every year on at least 300 acres and in Michigan and you know it's not rare to see a 140 to 145 but you're not going to see a 180 or 175 you know it's, it's rare for a buck to grow up in Michigan and be that big and old it's yeah. just it doesn't happen and it all comes back to you know I'm a guy you know you buy your deer tag you can shoot whatever you want to shoot 
you know, I'm not going to be, you see all these guys in social media and be like, oh, you should have let him go another year. You should have let him, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, he paid for his deer tag. He can shoot whatever he wants to shoot. Yeah. You know, I'm not, that's, I have no problem with that. You need to feed your family. Go ahead. But I'm the kind of person is, it's a two buck state. I'm going to kill one buck that I want to kill. And I'm going to shoot the does for my venison. Yep. You know, I'll let that two and a half year old eight point walk. And next year he'll be a decent shooter. Maybe not, you know, then my, what I can do on the property, at least in Michigan, I can let deer grow because I'm the one who hunts it. Yeah. And that helps me a lot, but I understand, you know, people grind it out on public land. You know, I get it. I totally get it. But in Indiana, whole different ball game. You know, my buddy killed a 168 off this farm last year that we leased in Indiana fruit of a deer i mean unreal and uh you know i grew up with him he's been my best buddy since i was a little kid and um he's killed some big deer in michigan but uh we wanted those big caliber whitetails and that's why we leased this eight, this farm in indiana and it's just you hear guys down in indiana and they ask ask us the same question you asked me how's a deer hunt in michigan you know what caliber deer do you have not, it's like nothing like you guys have down here in Indiana. Um, you know, they laugh at us when we, they say, oh, I, you know, I got one, a picture of a 135, 140. They just laugh at us. Like, oh, we see those every sit we have in the afternoon. You know, we let those walk. I'm like, well, that would be a dead deer five yeah. times in a row <laughs> yeah. up in Michigan. You know, that, that don't happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're in Indiana for – a big buck, you know, a wall hanger, you know, it, you know, I'm not a trophy hunter, but in Indiana, I kind of am Yeah, because <laughs> I don't get spoiled like that up in Michigan with those giant deer. You know, I can shoot as many does as I want up here and fill the freezer, but in Indiana, I'm going for that big buck and it's just Michigan needs to go down to a one buck tag if they want to grow big deer. Simple as that. Cause we have the food, we have the habitat. Um, it's just, it's, it's a whole, it needs to change, but yeah, you know, probably never happen. Have you noticed, I, I know like the national average for the age of bucks that are being killed has been going up. Have you noticed that in Michigan as well? Or is Michigan kind of, uh, still shooting a lot of, a lot of young deer, a lot of young deer. Yeah. A lot of young deer. You know, I see, you know, I mean, we have our youth season in September. A lot of big bucks get killed in our youth season at the end of September. Um, but I mean, like I said, it's a two buck state. So some guy can go out on public land or even his own private property that, you know, doesn't care about his herd or growing big deer or the genetics of the deer around. They kill, you know, a four point, a six point that has great potential in three years to be a good eight, even a 10. You never know what that deer can explode to. Yeah. But if you kill it off at two years old, and you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And I think a one buck tag would make those guys think different of what they're shooting. And, you know, Michigan is has a huge deer population. It is insane. Um, even much so as down by Detroit, the east side of Michigan, 
they have bow season inside city limits just to kill as many deer as you can. Kind of like over in Pennsylvania, New York, you know, the east side yeah. of this country. But um, yeah, we're not hurting for deer. It's just our bucks don't have an opportunity to grow. Yeah. I've, I've noticed a lot of like what you're talking about, the urban deer hunting. There are so many places that are opening up or maybe it's just becoming more, uh, more people are finding out about it. But I know here in, here in Missouri, there's urban deer hunts where you can hunt with a bow inside of city limits. There's, there's more regulations than just that. I mean, there's other things that you have to abide by, but, um, yeah, there's a ton of places and that's just part of whitetail. Like they do so well around people and when they don't have pressure, their numbers explode and you know, everyone, even the nature center here in, in, the the city that I live, you can't hunt there most of the year, but they've started doing a draw at this nature center. And I'm like, dude, this doesn't even seem fair. Uh, but if it's like any other type of wildlife species, as soon as you can hunt them, they know it and they somehow have that sixth sense and they never show up again. But like you can walk through this nature center, you can walk on the trails and have bucks four feet from you just standing there. They don't care that you're there at all. And then all of a sudden to think that like out of nowhere, they let a couple people hunt. I'm like, dude, you'd basically be shooting something at the zoo. Like, Hey, walk through this back gate and pull the trigger, uh, or, or draw the bow back, you know? Um, but it's needed. You can't have populations getting out of control, even, even in city areas. No. Yeah, you can't. And it's, you know, people complain about, you know, city deer like that, you know, more car accidents, and that's the big thing in Michigan, you know, with our highways that run through these big cities, um, mainly Detroit, um, you know, over on that side of the state, you know, you just drive down the interstate and you're just lined with deer. I mean, just, it's insane. And, uh, but, uh, it's, needs, needs some change, but. Like I said, I don't know if it's ever going to change. I hope it does. But yeah, because are you guys allowed one buck tag in Missouri or two? Two. Yep. Two. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We can do two. Um, I feel like here the the age class or like the average age of bucks ha- has been growing. Um, it's kind of followed the national trend. Um, when I first moved down here, I it was kind of discouraging. Actually, I worked at this company and. I told the guys that I was going to get out and hunt. And there were a couple of years where I didn't do much hunting because in Wisconsin, I would never go on, on public property. Uh, I grew up being part of the orange army and you go out on public property. It's like, dude, it, I just don't have that much faith in other people to make the right call. If a big buck walks through, like to, to make sure nobody's behind it. Um, and so I moved down here, didn't have any, any private land to hunt. And so I was like, man, I don't really want to pick up a rifle and go out on public. Uh, so I didn't hunt for a little while. And then once I got back into it, I was talking to this guy. He's like, good luck, man. You'll be lucky to even see a deer. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, dude, I've, I've hunted three years and haven't seen a deer. And I'm like, dude, I see deer all the time. What are you talking about? And I don't know if he was just trying to scare me off and like try to get me to not get out and hunt. But 
um, I got access to quite a bit of property and I still hunt that property to this day. Dude, there are so many deer and it only took, I mean, I saw quite a few the first year, but it only took one year of like doing little improvements here and there before the deer number exploded, or at least I noticed a lot more deer, you know, putting out trail cameras, um, doing food plots. I haven't done a lot there. There's enough cover on it to where I don't need to have any additional cover. Um, but they kind of have everything they need right in a small area. And I'm like, maybe I'm just blessed with awesome property, but dude, that guy was adamant that like, there's no deer in Missouri, like good luck, man. Like just to shoot anything is a trophy. And I was like, yeah, I've, I've noticed otherwise since then. Right. And I've always seen good deer coming out of Missouri always. Oh yeah. And I mean, you guys have a lot of public land down there. It looks like. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a decent amount. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of, you know, Michigan is, it's, we don't have a lot of it, but you know, but what we do have is just chalked full of hunters. Yeah. It's just, it's stupid. And, uh, like you said, I don't, I, I've never, you know, I don't trust anybody on public land. You know, I don't want to be a part of that, you know, and I don't want to be fighting over a deer or you know, something, you know, any, any situation that can happen on public land. Yeah. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm grateful and connections I have in Michigan with these farmers and stuff and just able to have that property to deer hunt on is just, it's awesome. You know, and I can't, can't be more thankful than to have that property and to be able to hunt it all to myself. Yeah. That aspect. And then, uh, but like, yeah, you know, I'm a huge, I manage a lot of, you know, property I do lease and, you know, food plots, you know, bedding, hinge cutting, all of it, you name it, you know, and that's my big thing. And, um, it's, I just enjoy it, you know, doing food plots, laying out where to put access trails, where to put food plots, you know, where to make this tree stand location, everything. Even it's just whatever goes into the season, off season, you know, scouting, shed hunting, I mean, everything. And, uh, it's the same for down in Indiana, you know, but yeah, that's, big thing I do in the summertime is a lot of food plots, you know, a lot of planning on what to do and what, how to make my farm and herd better and how to have a better deer season. Yeah. There's something about being part of the entire process. I feel like, um, you know, growing up orange army, I'd go out, we might go out and sight in our guns two or three days before season opened. Other than that, we were never in the woods and now being here in Missouri, having access to this property, I'm out on it all the time. I mean, I spend so much time out on the main hunting property. I'm checking trail cameras. I'm doing improvements to the property. I'm maintenancing tree stands. I think this year, I say this every year, I really do want to try saddle hunting this year. I haven't done it yet, um, but I just keep hearing great things about it. But also there's the ease of having a tree stand and just walking out, climbing up it. Um, and so I want to check that out, but yeah, the whole, the whole story coming together, you know, getting out there and planting, getting out there and clearing, getting out there and hinge cutting or creating more cover or even introducing more water to a spot that there wasn't being able to watch them on trail camera. And then to have encounters in the early season or see them in bachelor groups. I don't know. I like, I like when there's a lot of history 
behind a hunt instead of just like walking out, getting lucky, pulling the trigger and that's it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I like, you know, I'm a huge bow hunter. I rarely gun hunt, you know, I'll, I'll bring my bow out during gun season. You know, it's, it's like, it's a holiday in Michigan. November 15th is gun oh, yeah. season. And it's a holiday. And, uh, sometimes I'll be out there with my bow. I mean, it's just something about getting a mature white tail at 20, 25 yards, even closer. is just something that you can't describe. Yeah. And like you said, having history, you know, I, you know, I got a buck right now. It's on this farm and I've been chasing him for three years, you know, and I've had him daylight and I haven't been there. I've had him daylight walls in the tree and it just doesn't all come together. But when I do, it all comes together. It's going to be, it's unreal. You know, you, like, you can't get that feeling anywhere else. Yeah. Are you, do you turkey hunt at all? Are you, are you gearing up for that right now? Yep. Yep. Huge, huge turkey hunter. Um, my buddy owns his own guide business in Michigan for turkeys. Um, he, uh, and I help him out a little bit if he needs help, you know, here and there, but yeah, I'm, yep. I'll do, uh, turkey seasons coming up here at the end of April. Um, so yeah, every year I try to bag my bird and yeah, it's just, you know, it's not my favorite thing to do, but you know, it's fun. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, it's like ground swatting a goose. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the thing that I look the most forward to, but I will do it if I can. <laughs> Right. That's how I am. Exactly. Yep. yep. No, that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, we're, we're gearing up for it here. I'm 100% in the same boat as you with that. I, it's all right. Uh, I enjoy it because there's nothing else going on at that time. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I think I would rather have a coyote come in during turkey hunting than a turkey, uh, just cause I love shooting coyotes. Well, I mean, even better yet is a bobcat, but I think that's out of season now. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy doing it. That's what we've got coming up next. I think we're, gosh, I don't even know what the date is. Yeah, so we're 12 days away from that here in Missouri. We've got a decent season. Uh, it goes from the 18th till the 8th of May. Um, I know some states, like I was talking to a guy earlier today in Wisconsin, and they break it up into like six different seasons. Um, but yeah, here we can hunt like three full weeks and we can shoot two toms. So. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. We can only shoot one time in Michigan. Um, Michigan sucks in that aspect. You know, we can't shoot doves in Michigan. We uh, can't shoot one time. Nope. Really? Yep. Nope. No doves. And we have millions of them. That's crazy. I did. I don't know how I didn't know that. Yeah. No doves. Uh, can't shoot uh sandhill cranes um which that's another whole story there you can't you know those are destroying a oh, lot yeah. of ag fields and stuff um but yeah can't shoot doves do you know um, what the reason is for that i don't really know i never really dug into it and you know i hear a lot of it is because they're people you know groups are trying to protect them and it's you know so it's i don't know if it's the state trying to protect them because they don't want to get them endangered but i don't think that is because there's millions upon millions of doves i think it's just i think it's the bird watchers who really just don't want them killed that's very interesting i think that's the first time i've heard of any state not allowing dove hunting 
Um, that that seems like one of the smaller fights that people would try to pick uh, of getting rid of a certain type of hunt. Doves, of all things, is is odd to me. But well, man, I I appreciate you hopping on. It sounds like you are living the outdoorsman's dream up there in Michigan, and I'm gonna have to come check out what Michigan has to offer, especially I need to shoot a, a waterfowl band. Like if nothing else, I've got to come up there because it sounds like they just kind of fall, fall on your head. It's like the, the geese just fly by and drop them off their ankle and, and land in your lap or on your lanyard. Yeah. It's uh pretty insane on uh, what Michigan has to offer and that, you know, September is the, the golden month for uh, shooting bands on geese. So uh, it's, that's September is holds, you know, very special place in our, uh, waterfowl, um, season. Yeah. Um, it's nothing like it. And it's just, it's hard to explain until you've done it and you shoot that many bands as, you know, bands. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't care about shooting bands. You know, I don't, I can tell you 100% I've never band hunted in my life. I've never gone to a field and said and scouted a field and glassed and looked for bands never in my whole in my whole waterfowl uh career i have never done that neither of my buddies none of them and uh you know it's one last story i got you know a couple years ago in uh open day september 1st you know we had a feed of 300 in a wheat field um and wheat is huge in september um we uh man it's only about 10 minutes from where we all live in the same town and everybody knows this field and we're the only ones allowed to hunt it um and you know we it's a layout shoot no clients just us having fun you know we always plan september 1st for our buddy shoot you know yeah six six of us get together have fun and um, just get ready for the season. Um, and, uh, we probably halfway through the hunt, we probably got I don't know, 25 down and we're allowed 40, 35, 35 of that aspect. Um, and the last eight birds of our limit were all banded, double banded <laughs> with Jack, with Jack minor bands. I don't know if you were familiar with Jack Minor bands. No. So it is the most sought after band in the waterfowl community. So Jack Minor is a sanctuary over in uh, Ontario, Canada, right across okay. the right across the border from Detroit. Um, right across the river, and uh, he's the one who actually started banding and you know he made his own band he put a government band on one leg he put his own jack minor band on the other and actually this is and it has a you know if you can see that it has a bible verse oh, on it dang. that he puts and it's you can tell it's a lot larger yeah than the huge. other bands and people chase these birds with these bands on them and it says uh, you know the Bible verse says the number on it obviously 
and we killed four geese that were double banded with jack miners, all banded together in the same year that migrated north to us. We had no idea these birds were in this field. And we lit up the waterfowl community with this. And that's, you know, a lot of people know us for that. Yeah. You know, and and I don't want to be known for shooting bands and thinking we just shoot bands just because, you know, we want to, and that's all we care about. No, like I said, we've never scouted the field for bands. Never. You just, yeah. You're just in a prime spot to kill birds with bands. Yeah. And it's just, that's the most, that is hands down the most, memorable waterfowl hunt I've ever been on with my buddies ever shooting those bands. And then that rare people, I know people who have waterfowl hunted for 50 plus years and been chasing a Jack minor band and we do it in one hunt and we shoot four of them. It's just, Oh, that we is could, we unreal. Couldn't, couldn't think about it. Yeah. If you get the time to look it up, um, yeah, I'm just look up to. Jack minor, Jack minor sanctuary. It's unreal. You know, he's, you know, kind of the godfather of, banding because he you know he made his own band and all that stuff so yeah man that is that's super sweet um before we hop off uh i want to give you a chance to share where people can follow along with your journey where they can contact you if they're interested in booking a hunt and all of that yeah so uh my main what i run off of is uh instagram it's uh northern flight outdoors simple um you know, I do have a Facebook page too for that in Northern Flight Outdoors, same thing. Um, do have a website, um, Northern Flight Outdoors for that as well. Um, but yeah, my phone number is on there, email, anything, you know, I prefer shoot me a call, shoot me a text, anything. Um, like I said, we're always uh, striving to you know, give the best hunt we can and um, we work our asses off. You know, that's all I can say. I have a great group of guys and my buddy who I own the company with, you know, we, we just work good together and just want to put clients and, you know, just have fun, shoot birds. It's all that matters. Yeah. I don't care about shooting piles and piles and piles and piles of geese and ducks. You know, we will, we do all the time, but it ain't, it's not my MO. I just want to have fun and, you know, just have a good time and make a memory of just a waterfall hunt up in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Man, Evan, I I really do appreciate it, and you better believe I'm gonna be coming and hanging out with you at some point. Um, we'll we'll try to plan a hunt for sometime this fall, uh, and if September is the time to come, man. See, we have dove hunting here in September. That's the difference. Like you you mentioned September first, and I'm like, dude, that is like a holiday for us. Me and all my buddies get together the night before. We go get set up super early that morning. And it's all about dove hunting on September 1st. And so uh, it makes sense that you guys like September 1st for a different reason because you don't have doves. Well, you can't hunt them. Um, I'm going to look that up too. That's going to be an interesting one. I want to find out what it's all about. But, dude, thanks thanks again. We'll stay in touch, and uh, you take care. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, what what a crazy podcast. Like, everything covered, looking back on it, between flying fish, taking out boaters, to bow fishing for goldfish, chasing after ducks and whitetail. And it, Evan's just, he's an outdoorsman through and through. And it's just weird to think about driving somewhere. Imagine someone 
from out of state showing up and they're just wanting to go fish and they're they're cruising in their boat across the lake and all of a sudden fish start launching out of the water and like taking people out that are in their boat or smacking them in the face that would be a weird problem to have to worry about every time you take your boat out but i will say going out bow fishing sounds like a ton of fun i've done it in the past and i haven't gone on any like extravagant trips for it right i haven't killed any goldfish I, I definitely know that. But shooting carp in small ponds where they've gotten in through culverts or drainages or during flooding, uh, there is there's something about boat fishing that can get a guy hooked in a hurry. And I don't know. I, I know right now I will be doing it, but going with somebody who has a setup because it's a whole different level of commitment. I, I definitely want to do it more, but I think my number one is like a giant alligator gar. I feel like that would be so much fun to go and bow fish for. I've seen people do flounder spearing as well. That looks like a good time. Gosh, this is what I'm talking about. This is why the Nomadic Outdoorsman exists, to inform you guys about different opportunities that you can go out and do and to hear different stories and hopefully... Some of you as listeners are are going to take these things and run with them. You're going to hear about an adventure that a guest talks about on the show and you're going to be sold out for it a year from now and your wife's going to probably hate you or your husband's going to hate you because you're spending so much money on this new activity. That's my goal. My goal is to disrupt. No, that's terrible. My goal is not to disrupt marriages. It is to get you guys in the outdoors. Um, but I really do appreciate all the support. Uh, we, we just finished up our giveaway. Uh, that was pretty fun to do. And hopefully you guys are getting out there and either finding sheds, morels, my buddy, Jack, actually Jack dolls all he's been a guest on the podcast before he just got done with a trip where they found loads of sheds. And I'm really hoping to still get out to Colorado this year and pick up some sheds. We'll see if that happens. I want it to, I really want a giant like match set of elk antlers, but I'm going to let you guys go. I've been rambling for too long. Until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.